so you started sleeping with stuff under your pillow just in case somebody broke in and tried to take him. He he was prepared. And then when he got old enough to have a gun, then the gun was under <laughs> oh, his pillow. God. Well, listeners, it's funny because my parents maybe remember it differently, but they didn't like me watching The Simpsons, but they let me watch Terminator. Welcome to Something More Human. I'm Sam. And I'm Elliot. We're a married couple exploring human connection and its impact on ours, our guests, and our listeners' lives. Join us in creating something more human. Obviously, a lot of this podcast is about our listeners' input, and so they'll, um, you know, they'll ask us questions that they want to hear on the podcast. So, a listener question for you two specifically, oh, no. from a friend of ours, oh, is: no. Can you share more about your journey to choosing? parenthood because obviously for you guys it's not like it wasn't planned you guys wanted to have kids right or as far as i know can you talk about your journey to choosing parenthood and how that commitment has maintained over so many years or you know how has your commitment to parenthood changed or just tell us about your your journey to choosing choosing to be parents Mm -hmm. well i think uh, of course we knew from the beginning that we wanted kids Mm -hmm. larry wanted you know a house full 10 of them and i'm like "Mm, i'll give you two maybe three but we're not gonna have a house full could you imagine 10 i think we've been married three years when we had um marissa your oldest sister and um i you know looking back on it i was very young i was 20 when we got married and i was 23 going on 24 when i had her which is pretty young um i had no clue what i was doing and uh you know you just jump in with both feet and um make a lot of mistakes especially with the first one, you know, she, she said, Oh, I was your trial child. And I said, yeah, unfortunately you were, you know, we, For most parents, we, we had to yeah. do a lot of, of things that we shouldn't have done. And, you know, but every kid's different. So I'm curious about the transition between sort of the dynamic of I'm the parent, you're the child, right? When your kids are little mm-hmm. to now you have these three uh, full blown adults mm-hmm. who have their own lives, their own spouses, and the relationship dynamic has changed, right? Definitely. Now you have a little bit more of a friendship with your mm-hmm. children. Right. What has that transition been like for the both of you? Well, I'll say that when, you know, I said I had Marissa really early and didn't know what the heck I was doing. And she was a strong-willed child. And so I had a hard time dealing with her, knowing how to be a mom to her and discipline her because I'm not saying I was the best child, but I was very obedient to my parents and couldn't imagine making them upset with me. So it was hard for me to have a child who actually didn't care if she made me mad. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know how to deal with it. And so Larry dealt with her more than I did as far as discipline goes. And early on, it was, you know, it was spanking. That's how we grew up. And that's yeah, the discipline was really something that was, uh, I think you learned from your parents. And my dad was a strict disciplinarian, and he spanked us a lot. I mean, I don't think today, in today's society, that would be looked on as something that's normal. Sure. Okay, not at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was my understanding of discipline. And so we, as we grew in our adulthood and being parents, we realized that we were making a lot of mistakes and Marissa saw that as uh, something that she seemed to be very uncomfortable forgiving for many, many years. And so we got to learn how to discipline better. And of course, our children were never our friends. They were never our friends. Hmm. They were our children. Uh, and we and we made it uh, known that they are our children, not our friends. Mm-hmm. And now they're our best friends. Right. I can talk to Elliot about anything. He can talk to me about anything. I can talk to Leah and Marissa about anything. And 
and we're friends now, and that's what's really cool about the relationship now. Yeah, that was one thing that I also had to learn with, uh, well, with Marissa, because she was the, the oldest, and she would tell me when she was like a preteen or early teenager, you know, well, so-and-so's friend and her mom are best friends, and you just don't treat me like that. And I had to tell her, I'm, I'm not your friend, I'm your mom. I said, I'll be your friend when you're an adult, but I'm not your friend right now. And I see that a lot Mm -hmm. in parenting today where the parents don't want to make the children upset. So they do anything to make their kids happy and they don't discipline them and make them understand that, you know, there are certain things you can and cannot do. And as a parent, we know better, you know, if you want to run across the road, I have to tell you that you're going to get hit by a car maybe, and you can be mad at me about it, but I know what's best. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's one thing that we learned. There's a lot of tough love in parenting and you have to do that. It doesn't come naturally, but the more you do it, the more confident you feel about it. And Mm -hmm. so the, the payoff has been that our children are pretty successful. And although we gave them tough love, Mm-hmm. And I learned that there was something different about that. There's something that's interesting is that we learned that if we tell our children the rules ahead of time, mm-hmm. okay, this is what this is this is the punishment or the restrictions that are going to come on you if you don't obey. And so, although it was tough, what has proved out to be is our children are very good people today. They each of them love us. They don't resent us. Mm-hmm. And so whatever we did in discipline turned out to be the right thing that we did. Mm-hmm. But we did, have to, ha- we did have to analyze our discipline. It was, it was done out of yeah, being you, angry and yeah. instead of out, of out of instruction. You have to adjust as you go. And like I said, each child is different. You have to handle each one differently and adjust to that as they change and you change. The goal is in raising children is to raise them to be responsible, caring adults. Hmm. And that is the goal. And the goal is to raise them to leave the house and know how to take care of themselves, not to make them want to stay in your house forever because that's not good for them or for your marriage. Hmm. Because in a marriage, your spouse is your first priority. Even though your children will take up a vast majority of your time, your husband or your wife is your priority. The children are second, and that's just the way it is. And like I said, that, that will change a little bit. You know, when you have babies, of course, you're going to be, you know, if you're nursing, you're going to be with the baby all the time. But in your mind, you've got to understand that your spouse comes first. Mm-hmm. And, and your children are second because they're going to leave home someday, and sure. you're going to be with your husband forever or your wife forever. And that thing, I think that's something really important for younger people who are just married, is it a commitment for life or not? Hmm. If it's a commitment for life, then you need to realize and visualize that one day you're gonna be apart from your kids. Your kids are not gonna be at home anymore. What are you going to be like to each other? Hmm. Are you gonna still be best friends? Or are, have you wrapped up all of your life into the children hmm. and then when they leave, you have no life together. Mm. And, and so I see that in, 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 my, in my work, line of work, being a hairdresser, I've seen so many families and I, I've seen their families just break up. There's no, there's nothing left. Well, it seems almost like a, I mean, I don't know, I don't have kids, but to me, it seems like a 
almost like a stage of grief. Yes. Like it's almost like it happens it because you can't help but be all in. Well, some people aren't, unfortunately, sure. but you can't help but be all in on your kids. Yes. And then they leave. Yes. And that's not gradual. That's like, yes, they've, they've, they've right. gone, they've moved, right. they've, you know, right. married, they're out of the house. Right. Like that seems like something right. that's hard to, that everyone has to but, go through. But, but that there, you said that word, you know, they're all in and then they leave. You don't need to be all in. You need to be pulling away. The older mm. your child gets, mm. right. the more you have to step back. The more, you know, when they're teenagers, they're going to make mistakes and you can't prevent that. And you shouldn't because they're going to learn from those mistakes so that when they're ready to leave, they've they've understood that. Mm-hmm. And you've already stepped back enough where you, you don't feel like little. you've yeah. got to smother them and direct their lives forever. Right. You shouldn't be doing that. You should you should be preparing your children to leave home. Did you guys have specific conversations about that? Because that seems like something that you can't just turn on. Like, do you, did you and dad sit down and say, okay, like they've reached this pinnacle, you know, like we've got to start, like how, how does that, yeah, I'm just curious, like, you know, how do, know, how do those things happen? I don't think, I don't naturally? remember, yeah, I don't remember ever discussing that transition, you know, because we had three children, we saw Marissa go, mm-hmm. okay, and so Elliot and Leah were still with us. So, and mm. unfortunately at the time that, Marissa left. She was so, she was still disrespectful and rebellious. challenging, <laughs> rebellious. So when she left, it was like a, it was like a freedom mm. and it was a freedom for her. So six months after she had left and she was on her own, then we became friends where we were just fighting each other up into the point, uh, up to the point when she left mm-hmm. and then we became friends. And so then Leah and then Elliot. So it was a transition out. And so I don't really remember a time that, that when they were gone, we were, oh my gosh, they're gone. Well, I don't think we, I don't think we discussed uh, parenting that way. I think it kind of naturally happened because we, we grew up in the same era of discipline that, mm-hmm. that, that that's pretty much how our parents made us feel is, you know, you, you sit down and be quiet and your mom and I are going to have a conversation or something. You're not, you're not the most important thing to me. Right. So we kind of, that's how we kind of carried on. I think we both felt the same way that we're raising our children to become responsible and good adults so they can leave home someday. Well, speaking of pulling away gradually, maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum, you both have parents that have passed away. Is there, is there like, I don't know, is there, I, I, I would think that maybe you two weren't as close or weren't as friendly with your parents as you are with us because, because times are just different, right? Yes. But still like they were your parents. You both, you loved your parents. They loved you. Yes. How was the transition from, you know, your parents being alive to being gone? How did you both deal with that? How did you, how did you both deal with that, with that loss of, of your parents? I think that's something that I'm, I'm interested. In. I know that we, we've talked a little bit about with you mm-hmm. that you, you, you got pretty depressed, right? Um, well, I how, lost both my parents look? within four months of each other. So that was a lot. That was not a good year. Uh, ni- uh 1999. They both passed away and I was the youngest of, of all of the children. And so my parents were quite a bit older. They were both not well. My mother was not physically well. My dad was, had dementia. And so, you know, you never want to see your parents go. But when my mother passed away, it was almost a relief that she wasn't Mm. in, in the state that she was in anymore. Mm. And for my dad as well, because he was mentally not there. So it was almost a relief at that point. But yeah, you still, we still miss them. And I I was very close with my mom, but because we never lived there after we got married, you know, we weren't around them like you guys, you know, 
Right. We see each other quite often. Even though you live in Denver, we still see each other quite often. Mm-hmm. What about uh, you? When my mom passed away, it was interesting how she, you know, she, first of all, she passed away a lot sooner than we thought. She was only 75 years old. We, sh- we thought for sure we'd have my mom for another 10 years. And so when she passed away, I remember I remembered that uh, in the hospital, we were all together mm-hmm. and, we, and we knew that she was dying and we were letting her go. And so when she passed away, one of the things that my mom did was made me feel really comfortable about uh, her life. She always, we would go to um, lunch or breakfast every week prior to her death, maybe the last six months or a year. You and mom together would go? Me and mom, you would go sometimes, mm-hmm. but I would definitely be with mom and we would have breakfast. And my mom would say, you know, I'm just so happy with my life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just, I've just been so blessed all my life. I just... I'm happy. And so when she died, I remember that my, my mom didn't die. She just wasn't here anymore. Hmm. And she was very happy and she was very content. And so she made me feel that she's fine. Okay. And, that, and that was really, that was a really a great thing that she did. Mm-hmm. And my dad now, who's 93, uh, he's lived a long life. He always says how happy he is where he's at. He's got dementia. Um, but he's, he seemed to be very content. So I know when he passes away, it's not going to be a loss. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. yeah, that's I didn't know that about grandma. She, you know, gr- uh, grandma Josie loved her children so much and she loved being around us so much. And it was it was more like a friendship type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She was like kind of like my mother where they knew you have a family now and I will give you advice if you ask me for it. But I'm not going to tell you how to run your life. So they they stayed out of our business, which was good and let us, you know, have our own life. But if we needed to ask them. They were always there to to help us, you know, if we needed help. But it was very much a friendship with Grandma Josie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Per, it's good perspective to have from Grandma because her life wasn't very easy. No, not at all. To, so to say at the end of it, towards the end, that I had, I'm so happy. Like how many people have much right. easier lives and aren't, you know, don't, re- don't realize that or aren't right. as happy. Right. Um, I just never heard that story, but I just think about grandma of all people, like had a pretty, you know, challenging life. Yes. She got married at what, 15 and she had a kid every year until she was 22 or 23. 21. Oh she had five children by the time she was 21. 21. Right. Right. I know the audience hearing that you're thinking, Oh my gosh, that's what I say. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Babe, yeah. You imagine? No, I can't imagine. And then <laughs> she had like, and then she 20, had three more. Yeah. Uh, later she, she divorced Larry's dad and and remarried and so she had three more children. Crazy. And so, you know, she had a, a you know what her life. We won't get into that. Well, but she yeah. had a tough life. Yeah. She did, but she wanted to have she said to me when she was a little girl, I want she said, "God, I want to have eight children." Right. And she did. And she she has had eight, eight children. children. Yep. So, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. That number specifically. She loved she loved children and she loved her grandchildren and she kids. loved her grandchildren yeah. very much. And Sam, she would have loved you to death. You've obviously told us some absolutely crazy, insane stories, Dad, in your childhood, right? And you always kind of say this thing like, you know, I should have died so many times because it's true, which is kind of crazy to think about. And, you know, all these things that you did, like, you know, you talk about your belief a lot. You think that, like, you say that, you know, God protected you. Um, and led you, you know, eventually, obviously, to mom and into your family, into your life that you have now. But yeah, I, w- I wanted you to tell one of your stories because you have so many stories that almost don't sound real. That for all those things to happen to one person, and so some of these stories are just absolutely insane. But the sewer story is a pretty crazy one, and that happened pretty young too, right? Well, for the uh, audience, and it sounds kind of bizarre that we're talking about a sewer story. So the context will will fit once I describe what that is all about. But as a young kid. I was no different than any children today 
that do stupid things, uh, break into cars for no reason, shoot at cars with a BB gun with for no reason, and you see kids do it today, and you're wondering, what's wrong with these stupid idiots? And so I was one of those stupid idiots. I, I was just rebellious, and uh, our rebellion one day uh, took me to get a gallon of gasoline and pour it down uh, a sewer, manhole sewer. In every community, you have these big steel uh, sewer caps that weigh about, probably about 100 pounds with one hole in the center. And I just wanted to see what it would look like down there. So I took a gallon of gasoline, poured it down the hole, got on my hands and knees with the match. And uh, you guys are thinking about, wow, what are you doing? Yeah, that's like a big bomb in there. And so I got on my hands and knees and I struck the match and on my hands and knees, I drop it and I look down into that little hole. It's about an inch and a half in diameter and watch the match go to the bottom and uh, go out. And so I was really sad that and disappointed that it didn't light up. And so I took another match and did the same thing and it still didn't go out and it didn't light up. And so I was really frustrated, so I told my friend Chris, I've got a sparkler, so I'm gonna take, we'll go get a sparkler, because it'll definitely light it up. And so I brought it down, and I told him, go ahead and light it. And if you've ever lit, lit a sparkler, it doesn't light immediately. It takes about four or five seconds before the match will actually cause it to spark. And it didn't do it fast enough for me. And so I said, give it to me. And so, uh, I gave him the sparkler and I lit it and it lit and I said, Chris, hurry, there's a car coming. So instead of dropping it and looking, the car caused me not to look down. And as soon as I dropped it, the biggest explosion that the whole neighborhood heard with the, the steel cap shooting 20 feet in the air with the blue, I remember seeing a blue, 10 foot blue uh, flame come out of that that single hole and the cap blew up. So yeah, I should be dead. And that's one of the things that I did. And now to tell you that that experience didn't stop me from messing with fire, about a month later, I took the same gallon of gasoline and we walked about two blocks from our home. There was a new community being built and there were these manhole covers and all this arranged sewers or streets. And so we lifted off the cap, walked down inside this manhole, poured the gallon of gasoline, let it run down the tunnel, and lit it. You know, so, I mean, that's just one example of so many things that I did. I, I didn't ever consider the consequence of the things I did, and I did so many things that I should have really died. I, I, I did a lot of drugs. You should uh, be in jail, too. Uh, I should be in jail. I broke into houses. I broke into safes. Um, I just never learned. I mean, I knew my dad would kill me if I did these things. For some reason, it just didn't register. You were a drinking junkie, man. So it's something, you know? And so I'm really fortunate to be alive and have three kids that I love and a wife that I love. And you graduated <laughs> high school? And Barely. Well, yeah, barely. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, though, man. Yep. I was going to say, you passed a little mischief onto your kids. So oh, my gosh. They just, a little? They just gave you a little taste of the heart attacks that you gave your parents. I'm sorry, Sam. Well, actually, luckily, Elliot's not super an adrenaline junkie. Like, you're really annoying sometimes, but I'm not... Well, overly concerned that you're gonna do something and, and do you know why die. 
because when I was pregnant and I found out I was having a boy, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot handle it if he's like Larry. <laughs> what am I going to do? And I, I would just pray, Lord, please help me, you know, help this little boy not to be crazy like his dad. Well, he's like totally the opposite. He's very cautious. Yes. He's, he thinks things before he does them. Now, he got crazy as he grew up, but he wasn't like his dad. He does have an exceptional aversion to death, though. Yeah, I would, I would not like to die ever. Well, I thought that was maybe like an anxiety thing of your adulthood. Like, oh, man, I'm not feeling well. I'm probably going to die. But you've told me that oh. even as a little boy, oh. he's like, Mom, he's always been is this roller coaster? Am I going to die? Right. Right. He would not do anything if he thought he was going to die. The more I think about how impactful like social media, or not social media, just content, just whatever you experience in your life is, the more I realize like us as humans, we've all seen too much now from, with our phones. But when I was younger and we were watching like a Dateline NBC show in the story, the, the mother killed her son in this story, in this particular story. Oh so that night I slept with you guys um, on the side of your bed. I slept on your side on the ground. I don't know why I didn't usually do that, but I did that that right. night and I stayed up all night. Because I thought that my mom was going to wake up and kill me. Oh, my gosh. Right, because your mom is so exactly. homicidal. Right. Exactly. Right, right. But still, so then I remember for years, like when I was maybe six, seven, and eight, I would lay down, in, you know, in the bed and put the sheets over my head. And it went, I went between cracking the door and locking it and cracking and locking it because I thought one might be safer than the other. You know I would have like a bat or a knife or something oh, under my he pillow. He used to keep I weapons would just, under his I pillow. I would just like lay down and pull the covers over my head and watch the door just waiting for someone to come in to kill me until, until I fell, you asleep fell asleep. For well, days and days and well, days and days and days were, of my life. There were a rash of like children being abducted from their homes at that time too, which you saw in the news. Like in Albuquerque? Um, no, just nation, you know, they would, they would come out with stories about that. And so you started sleeping with stuff under your pillow just in case somebody broke in and tried to take him. He, he was prepared. And then when he got old enough to have a gun, then the gun was under <laughs> oh, his pillow. Gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How do you prevent that though? Like as a parent, you can't, you, you can't, can't shield them from everything. No, no right. you can't. Well, listeners, it's funny because my parents maybe remember it differently, but they didn't like me watching the Simpsons, but they let me watch Terminator. Oh, please. Um, so I remember watching the mermaid a lot and Terminator too. I told you we made a lot of mistakes. Okay. I, I don't count that as a mistake. I'm glad you let me Watch Terminator 2 as a child's <laughs> a cinematic masterpiece. So, Well, you and your mom are both cinephiles. Yeah. Oh, yes. We love movies. But. Speaking of movies, I think Elliot wanted to hear a story from you all on your way back from a movie or on a, the way to a movie. Oh, yeah. Can I tell the story, please? Of course. So uh, it was July 13th, Friday, July 13th, 1979. Wow. Um, look it up on your calendar. It was Friday the 13th. We were going to go to a movie. And we, um, we lived a little ways from the, the city that we were going to, Pensacola. So we um, were driving, and it's dark already. We're going to a late movie because when, we, when you're young, you can go to a late movie. We can't do that anymore. So we were going to a late movie. We were coming out of Pace, Florida on Highway 90. You're going into a straightaway that goes, it's a causeway, and it goes over a series of there's marshland there, so there's a series of little bridges, and then you do go over like a bay and then into Pensacola. And so there's nothing out there, it's just flat marshland. And um, I believe there were street lights early on, but once we got out to that area, there were no street lights. And we noticed lights in the sky just above the road, and I said, what? I said, what is that? I'm looking down the road and, and it looks like a plane coming at us because there are obviously planes in the sky and we, you would see them often. And 
and I look at this one light, but if it's the plane's coming toward me, and I know that if it's white, it is coming toward you, because planes going away don't have that white light. You see red and green lights on either side of the plane. So anyway, it just didn't seem like it was going fast enough to be a plane. And as we got closer to it, he said, I think it's a plane. But as we got down the hill and we're on the straightaway, we could tell it was how, how high above the highway would you say it was? 150 feet. Okay, so 150 feet above the highway. And both of us knew then this is not a plane and it's not moving. It's actually hovering above the highway. And so we are slowing down. And as we got near to this object, it had a white light at one end and a white light at the other end. And the width of it was probably about... 50 feet, maybe? Maybe 50 feet. And so I told uh, Larry, I said, um, when we get closer, I'm going to roll down my window and stick my head out to see if I can see what it is. Well, just before we got up to it, boom, a spotlight went on our car. I mean, just like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. A, a big light. A that, big white that, spotlight. That it was, it lit up a big area. Yes. And it, as soon as it came on, I mean, it was on for maybe three seconds and it went off. And right then we were going to go under it. So I, I hurried up and stuck my head out. Well, it's pretty dark and I, you know, really couldn't make out a lot, but it was your typical what they call cigar shaped UFO. As soon as we got under it, we pulled off the side of the road and the truck behind us pulled off the side of the road. And we, we got out and there was two men and a girl that got out of that car, out of the truck. And we all stood there and looked at it and the guy said, what the hell was that? And we're like, we don't know. And we just stood there and looked at it for how long? I don't know. Maybe uh, five minutes? Mm, no. No, I wouldn't say it was that long. Oh, maybe a um, couple of minutes? Yeah, and you could see it would rock back and forth. Just a little, it, just a little. And it just slowly went but away. But wait, but tell them the, the odd thing about it. Yeah, there was no sound. Not a there sound. There was not a sound. Not a sound. Not even a sound as you hear a balloon when it takes off. And, uh, uh, hot air balloon. Uh, hot air balloon. Where you will hear Any, there's no page, sound at all, no, no sound, motor, no engine, no, nothing. Nothing, and it just went away. It it went it rose up in the air and then it it went south. What was the movie that we were going to see? Oh, and then we were on our way to go see Alien of all things. To be seeing Alien on Friday the Thirteenth and see that, I'm like, that's. I know it was just too much. It was almost insane. like wow. Okay, well, so we have another listener question for you all. Oh, no, okay. Larry, this question is for you specifically. Kind of in the realm of the transition from boyhood to manhood, a little bit more context. In past episodes, we've talked a lot about vulnerability, and it's becoming a theme that we discuss pretty often. And Elliot's said many times, you know, it's really hard as a man to be vulnerable and to have male friendships. I, I attribute Elliot's emotional intelligence and vulnerability to you modeling that for him, being really open with telling people how much you care about them, how much you love them, showing them, and making that a habit and a piece of your personality. But what was that like to develop, especially growing up in the time that you did, right? Where machismo and men were expected to be a certain way and a certain toughness or hardness. Well, especially with your particular relationship with your dad. And like, that was a very difficult relationship, you know, in terms of the love, the kind of love that you received. Well, um, that's a good question because um, I grew up where I was a small guy and I was picked on 
and I always wanted to try to live up to other kids. I wanted to be as big as them, but I was never as big as them. And so you would think that that would be different. And I don't know why I became vulnerable. And I I think that I, I know I thought this, that for somebody like me, I need to show some type of vulnerability to others so they are not afraid. Mm. You know, I've always been able to shed a tear in front of my family, in front of my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I, I didn't see that as a sign of weakness. I thought that was really a sign of strength. But I wasn't doing it to prove how strong I was. I was trying to prove who I really am. Mm-hmm. You know, and my love for my wife. I've always been very affectionate. I'm more. I, I need more affection. I want more affection from yes. from her, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I know that she loves me, she, but she's not as affectionate as I am. But I, I, I don't know why I, I'm, uh, I've always wanted to be vulnerable. You know, we, uh, I, among my friends, male friends, I'm vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You, know? you always have been, he, to a fault almost. Sure. He, he will say things he's not afraid to, to tell on himself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to just say, hey, this is me. I admire that because there's things that I wouldn't say to my girlfriends. And I was going to say, too, your personality is very much like your mother's. Uh, do you agree? Grandma Josie was a very outgoing. Everybody mm-hmm. loved her. She mm-hmm. was very outgoing, very affectionate. And I think Larry has a lot of his mother's traits in him. How, how do you guys feel about getting older? I will say something that I'll say something I say a lot for the last 10 years, I've been thinking a lot about dying. I think about dying almost every day. Now, that's only something that someone older is going to do because I'm sure you guys don't think about dying. You've got a lot of years left to live. Uh, well, your I mean, son does. Not, I don't I mean, think about dying. Yeah, 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 but I'm talking about dying. And I often say to people at work, you know, before I know it, I'll be dead. And I say that, and it's not, a lot of people think that's, well, don't say such, a th- say such a thing, Larry. And I'm, th- I'm thinking, you know what? The more I live, the more I see people just die. And so before I know it, yeah, I'll be dead. I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to live to see you guys live your life and uh, see the success you all go through and having children. I want to be with my wife, my best friend, for the for at least another thirty years if possible. And so I think about dying, but I'm ready to die. And, I, I, and I'm ready to die because I'm happy. I can see my mother, as I told you earlier, she was happy. She was content. I'm happy and content. Mm-hmm. So if I die today, I know that I would die the happiest man and the richest man I've ever known. And so I'm, I'm really ready. And I say that all the time. I think about that. Now, if you were to ask your grandpa about that, he's 93 years old. What do you think he's thinking? How often do you think he's thinking about dying? probably every moment yeah because it's not going to be long you know so i don't know if that well, answers the question but, well you know. actually the question wasn't about death it wasn't <laughs> it was about aging well you well, got there though but, you, you got but, there you just but said that, that is right. part of aging right. you right. think about right. death more but right. i think aging um i feel and i know dad can attest to this as well um you know i still feel like i'm 35 mm-hmm you know, Marissa turned 40 this year, and I was like, I've got a 40-year-old daughter. I, I was just 40 the other day. <laughs> and it does go by so fast. Time goes by so fast the older you get. And um, no, I don't like aging. I don't like how my body feels and how my body looks. But I'm trying to age gracefully. I'm not, I'm not trying to fight it and have all this surgery and stuff. And 
that's women and men who want to do that. I'm not knocking them. It's just not for me. Aging's hard, but with it comes a lot of wisdom. Speaking of wisdom, and I want your audience to hear this is really important because this is one of the things that I noticed at work. All you young people who look at old people, you see old people and you think that they're too old to they're short and something, you know, they're just old and they don't really know much. They don't really feel much. And that is not true at all. And although some of you think that 50 is old, uh, when you get there, you'll find out that it's not. And I was thinking that this older woman was talking to my coworker as if they were the same age. And then I thought and looked at this lady. Well, inside her is a 35, 40 year old woman who wants to be just like her 50 year old friend and she has just as much life and just as much value as the young people who look at old people thinking that they've already passed their age and they're done. And so I think it would be beneficial to, to everyone. You know, you're speaking about human, humanity. We need to look at everyone and, and, and give the older people the grace and the love and respect because they are young inside. And, and you know, they're, they're, yeah, they're approaching death quicker than most people, but they still inside are these people that are young. And another thing, I think looking back on my life, I wish that I would have, when I was in my young 20s having children, in my 20s having children and trying to live life, I wish that I would have sought out an older woman who maybe was in her 40s or 50s to like be a mentor to me um, about life. But at that age, you don't you don't think about that. We had a good church where we had a lot of people of different ages, and certainly there could have been somebody there that I could have approached and said, you know, because you don't normally make friends with people who are much older than you. You know, you're acquaintance with people. You might be an acquaintance with somebody here who's older, but you don't seek out friendships normally. So it's more like a mentorship, mm-hmm. and I... <clears throat> I think that's something that I wish I would have done. I kind of want to transition a little bit towards marriage. So you mentioned, yes, you have children, but you really have to hold your marriage as the highest priority. You've been married 43 years. What are some of the most important lessons about marriage or love that you've learned in 43 years? And we know there's no secret sauce, right? It's not like, if you just do this one thing, it'll be perfect. Absolutely not. (laughs) And every couple's different. Every dynamic is different. But I I think basically, you know, we were very young when we got married. But I think we had a basic, um, we we both had a basic um, belief in God that we, we both chose to follow very carefully together. And we made the commitment when we said we were going to get married that we were going to stay together no matter what. There was no plan B. We were going to work out any situation that came up because we were determined that marriage was for life. It has not been easy. Have there been times where we probably yeah, and I think it's thought important. about divorce? Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's important for people who are listening. I, you know, you had said this earlier, honey, that we put each other first. Uh, Sandy has always been the most important in my life above my children. She's been the important person in my life. And we've shared that same respect and love for each other. We put each other first. Now, we know the, you know, half the population in this world or in this country divorce. And to let you all know that, you know, it sounds like, wow, 44 years, 43 years. Wow, good. And it's been great. 
well, it's it, it's great that we're still married, but it hasn't been great the whole entire time. And we came very close uh, to walking away from our marriage. Uh, we were doing things that just were hurting our marriage. And we were both already ready just to walk away and, and be okay with it. And that was really bizarre that we would be okay with it. And so that didn't happen. We both felt that on the same day, um, God wanted to really intervene in our marriage. So I know some of you may not have a belief, but this is our story and this is what's happened. And so that changed, that day changed for both of us. And we're so glad. We kind of got back to those roots of we're going to work through right. no matter what. And that, you know, we did, we went to counseling and, and stuff, but marriage is never, marriage is always work because both of you are always growing and changing. It's just going to be, it's always going to be work, but you have to choose to do that work. A lot of, a lot of what I see today is, uh, you know, a lot of young people have a lot, have sexual attraction to one another and the sex is great. So they think this is a great relationship. Well, you can't base a relationship on that alone. alone. Yep. It, it just can't, it won't last. And, um, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision and a commitment and a commitment. Mm -hmm. Do you think it would be a surprise to people who are listening or if this has, have you ever heard this, that I've, and this is happening to us. It's certainly happening to me that I I'm falling in love with, I'm falling in love with my wife all the time. Our love is growing stronger for us now. You know, you don't, you wouldn't think that that would be possible because you know, you've been around for, with each other for 43 years. How can that possibly be? Are you getting tired of each other? You know, and so sometimes, since <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes I am tired of you, but I always choose you, don't I? Yes, I always choose you. But I'm, but I've felt like our love is growing yeah. deeper, yes. and our respect for each other is growing deeper, and the mistakes that I've made, I'm learning from, that I did, I took it for granted. We took each other for granted, mm -hmm. and that's something that's very easily done. And so it's something that younger people are going to have to work on not taking each other for granted. And I see you two, how you act with each other. And I know that you're not always in agreement with things. And, but I also know there's a real true commitment that you have to each other, which is great to see. Well, it's so. like us too. We don't, we don't agree on a lot of things. We're always yeah. kind of nitpicking at, at each other, but. Um, yeah, but I'm always right though. <laughs> 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 but um, he, dad, your dad did say one thing that I think is important too in marriage is respect. You've got to respect one another because when you when you start losing respect for your spouse, that's that's the road to destruction in your marriage. You've got to respect one another. So I want to say something about uh, my wife getting to me. Um, I have in the past. Uh, always wanted to have a reason for my um, bad decisions that I have made in hurting her, saying something that hurt her. And so I remember um, many times where I'll have said something and I knew immediately, guys, girls, you know, immediately when you say something that was, that's not right mm -hmm. and it's hurtful and you kind of blow it off and like, it's not, there, there's no, there's no follow up on that. And so I would say that and she would say, well, you made me feel this way. And I said, and so then I would try to justify what I just said and it's unjustifiable. So this happened one time where I, I had done or said something. And so she was incredibly wise and in how she would get to me. 
And so she wrote me a letter and she wrote me detailed letter about what I said, how it made her feel. And so I'm here reading this letter and guess what I can't do? I can't interrupt her. I can't interrupt her and come up with a lame excuse to try to justify my actions. And so I'm thinking about this. And so what has happened, as soon as I do something like that, that's hurtful, there's a broken intimacy. Do you know what I'm talking about? If there's a separation, you know there's a dark line now. And so I remember during that period, I asked her a question, you know, what are we gonna have tonight for dinner? We're gonna have beans and pork and, okay? And so you know there's no, there's a, there's a communication, but it's, there's, it's a, there's a disconnect. And so there's a disconnect. And then reading this letter, I realized, man, I blew it. And so I went to her and I said, I am so sorry. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I don't have any defense. I'm so sorry I did this. Boom. Just like that into me was brought right back together. And she, and she forgave me. And so there is another thing. There has to be forgiveness in a marriage. You, you can't hold on and hold on to this, this, this stab or this jab and not forgive because it'll never heal. Well, mm-hmm. and, there, and there needs to be a, a willingness to say, I was wrong. Because a lot of people have, have a hard time admitting that they were wrong and that they're sorry. And that's something you have to, if you, if you have a hard time doing it, you have to practice doing it because it's not going to come natural. It pretty much comes natural for us. Yeah, and so that's one of the things you, you know, if you're listening closely, you know when that person is sorry and you know when it's not genuine. And so when it comes across, I'm sorry. I'm then really you have sorry, to forgive honey. that. I'm you really just have sorry. to say, okay, so, let's move on. And then when I know that she, she accepted it, then that intimacy is bonded right back together. We've we've talked about um, penmanship in general, or sp- specifically in how important that is in, in many different contexts. But one was like keeping up with you know friends from abroad with written letters, mm-hmm. and it's just funny that this is you know a recurring theme. You you know you talk about writing, writing a letter. letter. <laughs> Sam wrote me a very similar letter about a month ago. Um, and I felt the exact same way, like, yep. and that, and I think that's like a really impactful way of, of it's very of it's a very good way to communicate across to your yes. to your uh, to your spouse, you yes. know. So we've been doing this for probably twenty five years. Yes, you have. No, you've never written me. You've written a letter back to me sometimes, right? right. But I'm the letter writer usually. I, I he expresses his more than I. I express do. it verbally. I. I, I'm expressive on paper more than I am verbally. Mm-hmm. And so is Elliot. Yeah, yeah. Elliot's yes. a writer. Yeah, yes. For sure. um, I want to switch to some like fun, rapid-fire speed round, get to know you. And we are going to see there is a, a winner, and we are going to keep track. Oh, no. So. Who said I love you first? <laughs> I think I said I love you. Mm. He did. That's how it goes, huh? Yeah, he did. That's how it goes. He huh? did. Who's more romantic? He is. You can really? Answer, you can answer these too, Dad. Wow. Who is the better kisser? <laughs> I remember that we would kiss at every stop. Uh, every stoplight. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Who's the better gift giver? Me. Okay. Oh. I don't but know. Dad's, you know what? Dad's throwing down some cash you know on some nice that jewelry. Here's expensive let, doesn't mean right. best. Let me ex- but it's thoughtful. Let me explain still that. Very thoughtful. When he does do gifting, he's very thoughtful about it. She's a better gifter overall. Not... Okay, overall, because she gives to all the people. Right. So right. don't. Right. So you, if you're you talking go. about to each other, I guess we both give each other. Here we go. Next, next question. Okay. Yeah. Who's clumsier? Um, 
I don't. You are. Really? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Why? No, you're clumsy. No, it's 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 rapid fire. No. Okay. <laughs> right. I guess it's you. I don't know. Who's the better cook? Oh, she's so good. Me. She is so good. Who spends the most money? Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just spend little here and there. Yeah. When he spends, he spends big. Sure. So okay. that, gotcha. it's hard, that's like it's hard to yeah. say who spends more. But it's interesting the question that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Who's most likely to say something embarrassing in their sleep? Not in the sleep. Huh? Uh, we well, you because you do sometimes mumble in your sleep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've never heard him actually say things, so But, but I would he, be he the does. one. Who's better at keeping secrets? Me. Yeah, probably. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I'd say Larry is. Who has better taste in music? Me. Definitely. <laughs> Me. Definitely. Who is the first to apologize? I am. Oh. Yeah. Who's more stubborn? I am. <laughs> Who's more likely to become famous? She is. No. How? Okay, next question. Uh, next, okay. okay. next question. Okay. Who would survive longer on a deserted island? Me. Definitely him. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Who's more likely to talk their way out of a speeding ticket? Me. That's yep. <laughs> true. If I called you from jail, what would be the first thing that you think I did? DWI. <laughs> Jeez, okay, great. I'd say I'd give it to my mom. Your mom wins? Yeah, she. I think she edged. Well, we just she had a tie. Out. We decided to have a very it's small a gift for oh. the winner. We got, oh. yeah, we so got sorry, Larry. Oh, good. But I actually won, sorry, but that's okay. Sorry, but I, I would concede to my wife. Sorry, Dad. Do I, get, do I get to open it? Open it right now and I'll hold your mic. Okay. Your flight schedule. Your flight schedule. Flight to Paris. Oh I'm my. <laughs> you guys. Oh so my I'm God. going without dad? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. You guys didn't have to do this. That's awesome. We love you. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't get to go to to Paris, and that's where we want to take you. So we're gonna to go to Paris with you guys. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Thank you, you guys. For, for me and all this, all the stuff that you've done for Sam and I in the last yeah. seven years. So we, you know, we want to give you guys. We want to give back. So <laughs> thank you. We're excited. Yeah, yeah. we, we are do. too. We do love you guys so much. This was fun. This it was, was fun. Was and now we're going to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys going with us? Yes. Yes, we're going with well, you. You're going with us? Well, yes. <laughs> I thought you were just sorry. sending us. No, sorry. We're going, no, we are going with you. Us four are going are to Paris. Are you driving oh, in Paris? No, absolutely not. Good. You know what? It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same without you. Sam and I want to thank you so much for listening to Something More Human. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support us, there are plenty of no-cost, minimal effort ways you can do so. For starters, you can subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform. You can leave us a five-star review, drop us a comment with a topic you'd like to hear us discuss in an upcoming episode, and you can also keep up with us on Instagram and TikTok. Give us a follow there at Something More Human. Thanks so much. Thank you.